This is week seven of the series, Once Upon a Time, Ancient Stories, Ageless Truths. We started this series way back in, in April, and we've taken some, some weeks off uh, for some standalone messages, but we're still going through the book of Kings. The book of Kings originally was just one book, and now it's divided between First and Second Kings. Originally it was just a book of Kings, now it's First and Second Kings. And uh, there are many fascinating stories in, in these books uh, that we're reading, the book of First and Second Kings. Stories that speak to us, even today, they're old stories, they're ancient stories. And so we have to look at these stories through the lens of what the culture was like back then. A lot of times we read things in Scripture and we say, boy, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense to our modern eyes and modern understanding. And so we have to look at them through the, the lens of what life was like, what culture was like at that time. Today I want to speak to you a message that I've entitled, The God of the Turnaround. The God of the Turnaround. And I want to ask, how many of you have ever felt defeated and have ever felt like you're in a desperate need for a turnaround in your life? Maybe you felt defeated, you felt uh, hopeless, befuddled. I like that word, befuddled. Maybe you felt uh, desperate at the end of your rope, at your wit's end. However you want to express it, when we go through those moments, and maybe you're going through a moment right now like that, I want to let you know there's an answer for that, and the answer is in the God of the turnaround. We're going to learn about that today. Well, the story we're going to read about today takes place during the the period of Israel's divided kingdom. I've been explaining to you along the way how Israel originally was one nation, but after uh, the first three kings, Saul, then David and then Solomon. After Solomon, uh, Solomon's reign, then the, the kingdom split into two. And so the northern kingdom was made up of ten of the twelve tribes and went by the name of Israel. And the southern kingdom went by the name of Judah and it, it was made up of the two remaining tribes. And so uh, this was a time of the divided kingdom. And in, in Israel, the northern kingdom uh, especially was... Uh, a kingdom led by very wicked kings. They were, in essence, in rebellion against God. And so the story we're going to talk about today uh, took place during the reign of, of Joram. And uh, he was one in a really long line of really bad kings in Israel. We're about to, I know we're always talking about bad kings. We're about to talk about a good king uh, either next week or the week after. And uh, it's about time to talk about a good king. His name was Jehu. We're going to talk about King Jehu. So that's, that's coming. Can't wait to teach about that. Uh, but these kings were all uh, evil kings in the way that they led their, their people away from God, led them to worship false gods. There was a lot of idolatry. And they generally relied on their own wisdom, not on God, until they got into trouble. They were attacked by some enemy nation. Then they'd call on God, and God would have mercy. And then they'd forget about God again. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the scene the background. It's also during the time of a very long and impressive ministry of the prophet Elisha. Remember the prophet Elisha? The prophet who was bald? The prophet who called down a curse on some boys that were making fun of him because he was bald. And uh, when he did that, two female bears came out of the woods and killed 42 of those boys that were making fun of Elisha. That Elisha. Very powerful, very powerful man of God. 
And uh, if you remember, he was a servant to the prophet Elijah. Elisha was Elijah's servant. And when Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha asked uh, that he be, give, he be given a double portion of his spirit when he left. And, and so Elijah was a great prophet. Elisha was even greater because he received a double portion of that spirit. Uh, and that was his request. And so there are many impressive, very powerful miracles that he worked during his lifetime, during his ministry. Now, during this time, Israel and the nation right above Israel was a nation by the name of Aram. Now we know it is Syria. It's the same nation. Aram was kind of an ancient name. So Israel and Aram were always at war against each other. And so the the relationship between those two countries had never been good, uh, but they're especially bad at this time. And so what's happening is that the king of Aram, his name was Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, remember last week we talked about how he was just crossing the border and he was attacking these small towns and he was taking back people, taking back plunder. And so, but now we, we reach a point in the story where he decides he's going to go for the big city. He's going to go for the capital city. Samaria was the capital of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah down to the south, but the northern kingdom, the capital was Samaria. So Ben-Hadad decides he's going to go for the big city. And so he goes and he attacks Samaria and he, he lays siege to Samaria. That meant that no one, you know, surrounded the city. No one could go in or out of the city. No one could go out of the city to go ask for help, to go get supplies. And so this was a very common method among armies in ancient times of attacking a siege was designed to starve the inhabitants of a city to the point of surrender or just to, to kill them, to reduce them to a state of such weakness that either they die on their own or they couldn't put up any resistance once the wall into the city was breached. And so because he sieged the city for a very long time, then there was obviously a great famine in, in the city, and this famine was such a, a lasted so long and so severe that the Bible says in chapter six, we're going to read chapter seven in a minute, but in chapter six, verse twenty-five, the Bible says that a donkey's head cost eighty shekels of silver. Now, might be thinking, well, who on earth wants to eat a donkey's head? Well, I mean, that's that's the point that the people of Samaria were so desperate; they were starving to death, and they would have eaten anything. And so they're paying you know, this large amount of, of silver just for a donkey's head. That's how severe the situation was. One of the uh, uh, translations of the Bible, the, the Christian Standard Bible, tells us not only that the donkey's head was very expensive, but that a cup of dove's dung sold for two ounces of silver. Now, you know you're desperate when you're eating dove's dung. But, and they were desperate. In fact, in fact, this is the most, the, the story t- takes place, we haven't even gotten to the story yet, but it takes place during the most severe time of the famine. It was so severe and the situation was so desperate in Samaria that people began to resort to cannibalism. The end of chapter 6 tells us a story of two women who were starving, and they both had babies, and they made an agreement that they were going to eat their own babies. And so the first day, they boiled the baby, and they ate the baby between the two of them. The second day, when it was time to eat the second baby, the mother of the second baby had hidden her baby. 
And so they, you know, the, 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 the other mom went to the king and, and said, this is happening. And, and just out of desperation, the king was so angry at Elisha because the king said, it's Elisha's fault. You know, he, Elisha and the king just didn't get along because Elisha would tell the king the truth. He didn't want to hear the truth. And so that's how desperate things were that they had resorted uh, to, to cannibalism and eating even their own children. So the king was angry with Elisha. He went to go see Elisha. He's, you know, he wants to go, and he should have known better because the king of Aram, remember last week, had tried to arrest Elisha, and Elisha turned the tables on him. Now the king of Israel is angry with his own prophet. He's going to go see him, and uh, you know, he, he wants to cut his head off. He wants to do something because he's so mad, blaming Elisha for the famine, even though the famine was the result of the Arameans sieging the, sieging the, the city. So we start the story there when the king arrives to see Elisha in chapter 7, verse 1. And here's what it says. Elisha replied to the king now. Hear the word of the Lord. And this is actually to the messenger of the king. This is a, the, the right-hand, man, uh, right-hand man of the king. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel. And two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now what he's saying, what Elisha is saying to the messenger. He's talking to, to, to the right hand man of the, the king. The Bible calls him the, the, um, the officer in whose arm the king would lean. Then Elisha tells him in 24 hours there's going to be a big turnaround. Right now, people are paying 80 shekels of silver for, for a donkey's head and for dove dung. They're paying silver. But by this time tomorrow, it'll be so different. There will be so much food in this place that a sia, which is a measurement of the best flour, is going to sell for only a shekel. And two sias of barley for only a shekel right here in Samaria. Right here in the middle of this famine... There's going to be a big turnaround, and where there's no food, there's going to be a lot of food. That seems incredible. I mean, that seems unbelievable that that would happen, especially so quickly that food, which, you know, which was very scarce, would once again be plentiful, and not gradually, but immediately, within 24 hours, this turnaround would come. I mean, this... You know, considering the desperate situation that the city of Samaria was, this would require a huge miracle. It's hard to believe. So look at verse 2. The officer in whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? And Elisha answered him and said, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Because this man, this officer was... It's a little bit cynical, like, come on, Elijah, be realistic. Look, look around. Look around. Now, we might identify a little bit with, uh, with the king's right-hand man, with this number one guy of the king, and maybe a little bit with the cynicism, because, um, you know, he was looking around and, and was saying, there's just no sign that this would happen. And sometimes we look at, at our world and we say, oh, this is, this is terrible and it's only going to get worse. And... Um, you know, that sometimes we tend to be cynical ourselves. Now, I, I think a little bit of skepticism from time to time can be good. A little bit of skepticism can protect a man from being taken advantage of. Uh, this, this week or last week, uh, a friend of mine who's a retired 
school worker. She worked at the school as a secretary for many years. She put something on Facebook and she says, oh, I got this, uh, I got this email that says you know, that my computer's infected. Call this number and they will help me to clean it out. And people responded, don't do it. No, don't call the number. Don't give away access to your computer, remote access to your computer. And, uh, uh, you know, I think in those cases, there's a good reason to be skeptical and say, ah, this sounds too good to be true. Sometimes that's the case. But this was more than just some mere skepticism because, first of all, this is a man of God speaking. This is a word of God. And, and Elisha had a track record of speaking for God and what he said came about and he had these miracles. And so, uh, you know, th- there was really no reason to doubt. And secondly, this is good news. I mean, does it, does it kill you to believe good news? When somebody tells you good news and, you know, so maybe it's a little hard to believe, but we believe in a miracle-working God. Is it going to kill you to, to believe Good news? No. And I think, you know, don't, let's not let the hard life that we live and the culture that we live in and the things that we struggle, let's not let those things cause us to get cynical and to stop believing in the power of God to work miracles. And that's really my first point that I want to give you today. And that says, when you feel defeated, when you're feeling down and defeated and discouraged and hopeless, don't stop believing in God's power to deliver you. Don't stop believing. You might be skeptical about people telling you, you know, give me control of your computer. I'll clean it out. That's good. That's a good idea. But don't be skeptical of God's power to set you free. Because falling into cynicism is one of the worst things that could happen to us. The devil wants us to doubt. He wants us to to fall into cynicism, to be cynical and to say, "Ah, I don't believe that anymore and to become bitter. You know, Paul said this, Paul wrote, love believes all things, love hopes all things, but the cynic believes nothing and hopes in nothing. Because the one thing that the cynic is certain of is that he will be let down if he believes. Let me tell you that God will never let you down. And when you believe God, when you trust in God, he'll come through. He'll come through. You know, the, the cynic likes to play it safe rather than to risk disappointment. The cynic says, I'm going to guard my, myself, guard my soul against being disappointed. No, I would tell you, guard your soul against this di- downward spiral of cynicism. Guard your soul against unbelief. Allow yourself to believe. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Sometimes you might believe in things don't work out exactly the way that you wanted them. But that doesn't change who God is doesn't change the power of God. So take God at His word that He will neither fail you nor forsake you. He has promised this and He will deliver. So in the case of this man, this royal official who didn't believe and he expressed his doubt, he said to Elijah, come on Elijah, really, really. We're all educated. We're all modern people here. Come on, we believe in science, right? We believe in science. We don't believe in the Bible and God's word. Well, that cynicism cost him dearly because Elisha told him, you're going to see this miracle. It's going to be right in front of you, but you won't be able to take part in it. You won't be able to enjoy it. Now, let's go on to verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy. Leprosy, most of you know, is a skin disease that eats away at your flesh and eats your your fingers, you know, eats your your nose, your ear, whatever, 
parts of your body. So there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, then we die. Now, interesting uh, thought process. And I think it was the right thing to do what they were thinking. There was nothing much worse than to be a leper in ancient times. Because lepers were complete outcasts from society. They were at the city gate, but they were outside the gate. They couldn't go into the city. They would feed people, would throw them scraps of food over the, over the wall, and that's what they would eat. They were feared. They were hated on account of the perceived threat of the leprosy contaminating them. Uh, and some people considered leprosy to be a curse because of their sin. They were cursed by God because of some sin. So they weren't trusted. They weren't liked. They, you know, they, they were outcast. So here they were sitting outside the gate of the city. And it suddenly dawns on them that they have nothing else to lose. They can't go inside the city. They're lepers. Besides, there's nothing inside the city gates. There's a famine. Right? So they can't just sit there and starve to death. So they realize their only good option is to, to go to the enemy camp, to the camp of the Arameans, and to surrender to them. And they thought, maybe they'll let us live and they'll feed us. And if they kill us, we're going to die anyway. This would be, that would be a quicker death. So, you know, it's amazing how much clarity we can get when we're out of options. It's like, okay, I don't have, don't have anywhere else to turn. Don't know what else to do. When you're at your wit's end. You know, that's, that's where God wants to meet you when you're at your wit's end. When you're at the end of your rope, that's where God wants you. These, these four lepers threw caution to the wind, as we say, and they took this, to, the, to them was the only logical course of action. And boy, were they surprised when they got to the enemy camp. Look at verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses And a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Wow, I read that, I think, wait a minute, how how did that happen? How does this happen? You know... They're a great army. They're a powerful army. They've got everything under their control. They're in charge. And then suddenly they're not in charge. They're running for their lives. Now here's, here's a principle. I think here's the underlying principle that, that I, I want you to remember. Because remember that Elisha had said, right now there's a great famine. But in 24 hours, things are going to turn around. Just like that. Well, here's, here's a principle for us. When you feel defeated, trust God To turn things around for you. Remember that the turnaround is coming. Remember that the comeback is on. It's on. Because God is a God of turnarounds. And He'll use whatever method He he wants to use. To turn things around. God is not out of ideas. 
for how He's going to turn things around in our lives. He, he's not thinking, okay, what can I, I've already done that one. No, no. That one didn't work so well last time. What can I do to get my children out of this predicament? No, God is not out of ideas. He'll use the craziest things to us. And He turns things around. And the things that were meant for our bad, for our evil, God uses that for our good. Yeah, God is in control. You know, in the previous chapter, we read how, remember this story, how God affected the sight of the same Aramean army by blinding them. Remember how we read, He blinded them. Elisha prayed that they would be blind because they had all gone to arrest Elisha, he prayed that they would be blinded. They were blinded by delusion. God did that, affected their sight. And now we read how God affected their hearing. It's the same army. It's the same army. They didn't learn their lesson. Even after they got the great meal from the king of Israel that we read about last week. And so he affected their hearing so that they're hearing things that weren't real. This is another delusion. There's a hearing delusion. The other one was a, a blind delusion. And it must have been a really big panic. I mean... Uh, it must, it must have been, I should say, a really big sound that they heard because you got to wonder how big the sound was based on the way they panicked. I mean, they panicked enough that they didn't have the presence of mind to get on their horses and to flee. They ran. They left their horses, their donkeys behind it. They just ran out the camp. They heard this thunderous sound. They heard the sound of horses, thousands and thousands of horses that was making the earth to shake. Make the earth to shake. It wasn't even a real army. Can you imagine though, hearing the sound and you feel the earth move under your feet? Many years ago, when I was, uh, in fact, it was the very first year, first year that I taught at Lakeview. Still getting to know my students. And I had a men's choir that uh, was part of my schedule. And so I was in my office. They were out in the choir room. Somebody fell. I think somebody fell, and so I, I heard this thud. So I went out there, and I made the joke. You know the, the old song? Uh, I forget who recorded this, but I went out there, and I said, What was that? I felt the earth move under my feet. And they all just thought it was original. They just laughed. Oh, that's awesome. That's funny. Did you hear what he said? I didn't tell him it's a song. Or maybe I did. I don't remember. It's been so long. But can you imagine hearing... The sound uh, and, and feeling the earth move under your feet and the sound, this thunderous roar of armies of horses coming. I mean, it, it, like I said, it wasn't a real army. It was a perceived army. God caused them to hear something that wasn't there because God is always in control. The people in the city, which wasn't that far away, because remember, they surrounded the city. People in the city didn't hear anything. It was just them. They're the only ones that heard it because God controls every aspect. I mean, a thunderous roar that caused trained soldiers to panic. Men of war, brave men to panic and to run for their lives. And, it, and this defeat of this army came without Israel lifting a finger. That's the God that's on our side. That's the God on your side. That's a God who wants to make a turnaround in your life. He wants to bring a turnaround in your life. Wow, that's amazing. It just, it, it, it amazes me. And so, let's continue the story. Verse 8. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, 
What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. So they went in and they saw, the, the lepers went in and they, they saw the food, the silver, the gold. They saw the animals. They, I mean, they, they ate and they ate and they ate and they took things, the gold, the clothes, the silver. They hid them for themselves. They started thinking about themselves initially, just about themselves until, uh, I love verse 9, until they finally said, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. So they, suddenly they get this, you know, this insight. They realize we need to go tell the rest of the city. There's plenty of food here for everyone. So the king, when he heard about this, he sent men to go check out the situation. And he discovered, yes, it's true. His men came back and they told him it's true. The army, uh, the Aramean army left in such a panic that they not only fled on foot, left their horses behind. You know, they could have ridden their horses out, but they, they fled on foot. But also they literally tore off their armor and their weapons and their clothes and they left it on. It was strewn along the road as they just fled for their lives. Can you just see them just running, just running? It's crazy. And, and God made them think it's the armies of the Hittites and, and of Egypt. How did they think that? Well, God, again, God was in control because those are, those are huge armies. If they had thought it's the army of the Israelites, well, we got them. We got this. We got this. But God made them think. He gave them this delusion where they heard what wasn't there and they thought what wasn't real. And they, they thought these, these are the Hittite armies and the Egyptian armies and they're huge and they're trained. And let go run! Save yourselves! And they're casting off their clothes to make themselves lighter. And they're running for their lives and they left all that behind. Boy, Proverbs 28 1 came to pass. The wicked flee, though no one pursues. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Because God is in control and God is our protector. And God is a God of the turnaround. So verse 16 says that the people went out and plundered the camp, the camp of the Arameans. So a seah of the finest flour sold for a shekel. And two seahs of barley sold for a shekel. Just as the Lord had said. Because God is in control. The God of the turnaround. Israel was saved. They were saved from this terrible, terrible famine. What a reversal. What a turnaround. But that's what God does when he, when he turns your defeat into a victory. He reverses a situation. He's a God of the reversal. He's a God of the turnaround. He's a God of the 180. He turned... He turns things around when you trust him. Now, what happened to the king's officer? Remember the one who refused to believe that this turnaround was possible? Look at verse 17. 
Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. Just as a man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. Well, first of all, you know, I wouldn't want to be the guy in charge of crowd control after a famine when the people find out there's food for everybody. I mean, I get pretty, I get, I get pretty uh, grumpy when I'm waiting for food and, and uh, it's not ready yet or we're at a, at a restaurant and waiting for a table. I know, I know y'all are never that way, but I do. Can you imagine these people have been eating their own, resorting to cannibalism. Now they find out there's food and it just so happens the king tells his right-hand man, you be in charge of crowd control, crowd control, you stand right here. Yeah, that didn't work out really well because the people trampled all over him and he died. But this is a fulfillment of what the man of God had said. His unbelief cost him his life. There's a price to pay for unbelief, folks. There's a cost. There's a cost for unbelief. Now let me just finish with this. Some of you here today are like the lepers before the miracle. Like the Samaritans before the miracle. You're in great need. You're feeling defeated. You want to give up hope. And you just desperately need a reversal in your life. You're so desperate yet that you maybe have even resorted to desperate tactics. Not like eating your own because maybe your situation is not a famine. You have plenty of food in this country. But there's a desperate situation. And you're resorting to doing something really bad. Something that doesn't make sense. Out of desperation. It's, it's a panic Mode decision. And you need a turnaround. And you need it right now. And you need it today. And today is a day to turn to God. Today is a day that if you haven't given your life over to God. If you haven't surrendered your life to Him. And, and, and made a decision to follow Him. And to serve Him every day of your life. Today is a day to do that. Turn to God. And let the miracle worker work a miracle for you. Let Him Turn around that situation. But others of you today are like the lepers after the miracle. You're enjoying God's power in your life. You're enjoying His blessing. You're enjoying His love in your life. But it just isn't right for you to keep it to yourself. It isn't right for you. It isn't right for me. It isn't right for us to keep God's love and power and blessing to ourselves. When there are people out there that are dying, that are making desperate situations in a panic because they need a miracle from God. There's salvation to be found. And we have the answer. There's salvation to be found. And we have the path to that salvation through Jesus. So like the lepers, we need to say what we're doing is not right. Because this is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. So we must determine that we're going to, to be bold. And, and we're going to speak God's word. And our, invite our friends to come to Jesus. Invite our friends to come to church. Invite our friends to serve God. Because they also need the good news of forgiveness, the good news of God's power and love in their lives.